seat. That would be wonderful. We're going to get started with our Theology on Tap evening. We are uh, recording this, uh, and we'll be posting it on um, online if you'd like to look at it. If there's anything that kind of sparks your interest or you want to share with somebody and you can't recall it, then you can kind of go online and uh, search that out. Because of that, I realized that I shouldn't be, I, I taped last week's as well, and I played it back and did some editing, and I realized I said, uh, and um, and uh, 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 a lot. So if you listen to this week's with, uh, from our last week's talk, Tim O'Malley, um, there it was, you hear a lot of me saying that, like, um, welcome, uh, so I'm trying to not do that and just take longer pauses. This week's speaker is Father Dennis Robinson from St. Meinrad. Um, he is a wonderful, wonderful speaker. If you were here our first two weeks, first week Father John Howell and the second week Father Jerry Bird both mentioned Father Dennis without even knowing that he was coming and sang high praises for him, and I, I told him that, and he said, good, they were correct. Uh, Father Dennis, I asked what is the one thing that... Um, I could say about him to let you guys know something. What's one thing you should know about him? And he said that he's a priest and that that's all, that's all that he is. Um, I thought that was very beautiful. Um, so what Father Dennis will be talking about 35, 40 minutes. Then after that, we'll give you about a five-minute bathroom break. Um, go with a partner. Um, then you don't have to go with a partner. If you want to, you can. Then we'll welcome you back and give you some kind of discussion questions amongst yourselves. Um, and then after that, we will do some question and answers with Father Dennis. Also, we will be giving out two gift cards this week uh, again. So stick around. Don't leave early so you can get those. Uh, last week, we gave away two, and they were happy, happy people. So maybe you'll be a lucky winner this week. So without further ado, please welcome Father Dennis up. He'll begin us with prayer. Oh, sorry. Welcome him down. He's going to stay here. This evening, I'll be speaking from this chair with my two special guests this evening. How are y'all this evening? I have no idea who they are. And I really, they don't even know where they are. They think they just came into this bar and they got some beer. Good evening. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Good and gracious God, we thank you for the joy of being together this evening. We thank you for the privilege of coming together as the people of Christ. We ask you to bless our evening, bless the fellowship that we share, bless the words that we hear, and bring us in your goodness to that everlasting life for which we hope so dearly through Christ our Lord. Mary's seat of wisdom. Well, good evening. I'm going to begin this evening with a few qualifiers. Uh, a. I made a, a little... I did a little checking. I have never spoken in a bar before. And this will probably be the last time I ever speak in a bar. Uh, I checked out this pub, though. I did. It's Clada, right? Clada, right? I checked it out. I said, it's an Irish pub. Is it a Protestant pub or a Catholic pub? I said, it's a Catholic pub, Okay. Because I thought if it's a Protestant pub, you, you never know what's going to happen, you know. I was a little concerned when I came in and saw the model of the ship over the mantle. Does anyone see it? 
It's the Titanic that could be a qualifier for what's going to happen this evening. It's going to be a huge disaster. Uh, but I am very glad to be with you. Uh, I am, I'm glad that uh, my uh, payoff to uh, Father Hollowell and Father Bird came to fruition, and they gave me a little bit of a, a good press to start. Uh, I, I want to, uh, the evening, this evening we're going to be, the topic that was given to me, you know, I usually like to choose my own topic, but this topic was given to me. That's fine. I'm glad that, you know, do whatever. I'll do whatever, because basically what I do is I take the topic that's given to me and turn it into whatever I want to talk about. <laughs> that, my students will tell you that. Uh, but the topic that was given to me this evening is the spiritual bucket list. Now, who came up with that? Anyone in this room come up with that? Who, was, who, was, who decided? He put it off like it was somebody else. It was you who came up with the bucket list. It was a discussion. That's what the wives always say. It was a discussion. It was not a discussion. You came up with it, didn't you? And now you're putting it off on him. Emily? The spiritual bucket list. Well, this is the problem. I am a Catholic priest. I know nothing about popular culture. And my students will tell you that. He knows nothing about popular culture. Father Hollowell, Father Bird, they'll tell you that. I know nothing. So I didn't know what a bucket list was. I know that's pathetic. It's pathetic. It's sad. So what did I do? I Googled it. I do know Google. I just got this brand new phone. Let me tell you about my new phone. It's very exciting. It has a screen on it. It's a very big deal for me, you know. But, uh, so I Googled bucket list on my phone. And I found out it was a movie. Did you know that? There's a movie called The Bucket List. So I thought, well, what, what better thing? I'll go and I'll watch the movie and see what a bucket list is. So I watched the movie, and the movie is a, it stars two very big Hollywood stars, Jack Nicholson and Morgan Fairchild. Freeman. I don't know who it was. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know who Jack Nicholson is, really. And, but it had these two people in it, and one guy and another guy, and they're like, they're like super old. They're, I mean, really, really. I'm not looking at you when I'm saying it, but I mean, they're older than you. I mean, what are you, you're like 60, right? 60. Vance and John here, they're about 60. Yeah. But these people, they're like 900 years old. Morgan Freeman, Chair, I don't know his name, and Jack Nicholson. So they're they're dying. That's the upshot of that. And I'm like, what am I going to do with that in a talk, you know? But then they, they create what they call a bucket. Does everyone know this? Does pe do people know this? I mean, I don't know why I'm telling you anything. But anyway, it's fun to just tell it. Besides, I'm wasting time because I'm supposed to talk for 40 minutes. Uh, so they create this thing called the bucket list, and it's the things they want to do before they die. And they want to do it before they die. And these, these two old people, they come up with the craziest things to do, some of which I cannot tell in a public space. But, they, you know, they're going to parachute out of a plane. They're going to go to the Himalayas. They're going to do this. They're going to, you know. And 
I, I watched this movie for like 45 minutes. It was 45 wasted minutes. 45 minutes of my life that I will never, don't watch it. Do, listen, Vance, John, do not watch that movie. Don't b- waste any time watching that. No, thank you. No, you're, you're very welcome. Uh, and so I watched this for 45 minutes, and I'm like, this is not working. Now, here's my, the upshot of it. Are you ready, Alexa? It's not Christian. The bucket list. So you and whoever you're going to lay on and came up with this thing, forget it. What, is, what do I mean? I was like, you know, a bucket list, obviously, is what you want to do before you're dead. And so as you're getting ready to be dead, as these two guys were, Jack Nicholson and whatever, they were going to do all of these things, and they have this list. Okay, forget it. Forget it. It's not meaningful. It's not important. So I want to talk about not the bucket list, but the living list. That's good. That was good. Don't you think? I I, I see how I took your topic and I switched it around to what I want to talk about. (laughs) Kayla Harrison is the judo champion. I would hate to meet her in a dark alley, Kayla. I, yeah. I'm easily distracted, by the way. Does this whole group belong to this group, too? Is this group over here? Oh, well, how are y'all tonight? How are the fries? You're not eating your fries? Are they good? Let me have one. Yeah, I want one. (laughs) Well, don't hand it to me. Oh, my gosh. No, that's okay. I'm okay. Please go. A few weeks ago, two weeks ago, I guess now, I was speaking at the Frasati Society. Was anybody there? How many people were at... Y'all are really hard up for entertainment, aren't you? It's like, so I was speaking at the Frasati Society, and I was speaking a little bit about two things. One, the, the Old Testament and Genesis, and two, the Gospel of St. Luke. And so that went fine. It seemed to go okay. I mean, y'all came back. You have nothing else to do. Uh, y'all came back. And I was, I was kind of amazed. There's the judo woman there. <laughs> Let's just watch the Olympics, okay? <laughs> uh, and so uh, I was at the, I was at the Frasati Society and, was, and, I, and, and I was speaking on on these two topics, and I really would like to have gone on a little bit farther. So I want to start by talking about the bucket list. I am going to talk about it tonight by going back a little bit to that talk that I did a couple of weeks ago, because we were looking at the Old Testament and the and the Book of Genesis and looking at the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going to start by talking about the early church's bucket list. I'm I'm working it. I'm weaving. I'm weaving. I'm weaving. I'm going to talk about the early church's bucket list. And so I want to look at the gospel of Luke. Because when I was at this Frasati talk, and you don't have to have been there to know what I'm going to talk about. I was talking about how we look at this question of what it means to be a Christian and discipleship. We move forward. We move forward. We move forward. And I want to talk about where that discussion ends up in the Gospel of Luke. Because I think that's an extremely important place for us to begin, and it also gives us a place to jump off to talk about what we, we are kind of interested in here tonight, and that is, where are you going? What are you doing? Why are you here? 
you know, and I want to know by the end of the evening. The Gospel of Luke, as I mentioned to the Frasati group a couple weeks ago, is a very important gospel because St. Luke, in writing the gospel and the Acts of the Apostles, he writes two books, builds and builds and builds and builds and builds until he gets to the end. And when you get to the end, then you get the main point that he wants to make. And so if we want to know what the main point of St. Luke's gospel is, then we should go to the end of it. And it's very interesting because at the end of St. Luke's gospel, after the resurrection of Jesus, there's a story. And this story is the longest story in the gospel. And St. Luke is a great storyteller. And so he has lots of stories, lots of parables that are only found in St. Luke's gospels. And this is St. Luke's gospel. And this is one of them. And it's the longest. It's longer than the story of the birth of Jesus. It's longer than the crucifixion and passion story. It's longer than any other story uh, in the Gospel of St. Luke. And it's the story of two disciples after the resurrection who are on their way to a town called Emmaus. So it's often referred to as the journey to Emmaus or the story of Emmaus or the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And so it's, it's, it's a very interesting story because St. Luke gives everything to this story. It's the longest story. It's the most detailed story. It's the, most, it's the, it's the, it's the kind of most interesting, in many ways, the, one of the most interesting stories in an extremely interesting gospel. It really captures the imagination because it's so, it, it rings so true to so much of our experience. And, of course, that's St. Luke's point because... Really, the story about two previously unknown disciples is about us. So I want to look at the story of of the disciples on the road to Emmaus a little bit. And I'll I'll use you two as examples of, of, no, don't worry. I was like, why would they sit in the front? You know, it's, it's completely out of control. But anyway, we might use you a little bit. Is that okay? You're, you're completely smiling. And I like that, but it's fake, isn't it? It's completely <laughs> fake. <laughs> She's like, why did we come here tonight? So what happens in this story? Well, St. Luke tells us that on the same day of the resurrection, there were two disciples who decide to take a trip. They decide to go on a journey from Jerusalem, where Jesus was, to a town called Emmaus, which is, we're told, 60 stadia in Greek, or about seven miles. So it's not a long journey, but it's an important journey. So these two disciples are going on a trip from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, this is the most interesting thing to me. If you were to investigate the question a little closer, you would discover that in the ancient world, there was no place called Emmaus, which I think is fascinating because St. Luke, first of all, knows that his readers, his hearers of the gospel are very well-versed in the geography of the place. In other words, 
They know where places are. They know how to get to them. They know where all these things are supposed to be. And the first thing he does is he says, there was a t- these two disciples are going to a town called Emmaus, which is 60 stadia or seven miles from Jerusalem. And the first thing the hearers of that story must have thought was, wait a minute, I don't know where that is. I've never heard of it. I don't know. Now, that's a very important point because we'll come back to it in, in a moment. The question is then, why is St. Luke going to give so much attention to this particular story and tell such graphic details about where it is and how they're going to do it and what they're going to do? Then he says there were two of these disciples, and one of them is named Cleopas. Now, that's a very interesting twist on a story that has been developing since chapter 9 of St. Luke's Gospel. Because in chapter 9 of St. Luke's Gospel, Jesus decides he's going to abandon the Jewish mission. Remember, St. Luke is a Greek. He's not a Jew. He doesn't know anything about Judaism. In chapter 9 of St. Luke's Gospel, Jesus abandons the Jewish mission. He's not interested in converting Judaism. And he picks up 70 or 72, depending on which text you're looking at, 70 or 72 Gentile or Greek or non-Jewish disciples. And these folks, these 70 or 72, begin following Jesus for the next 10 chapters right till they get to Jerusalem. So Jesus, as opposed to the other Gospels, in the Gospel of St. Luke has the 12 and about 70 to 72 other people. So that's a pretty good size, about 84, 85 people kind of walking along, you know. I mean, have you ever tried to go anywhere with 85 people walking along? This is not a good thing. Really, it isn't. Smile. It's good. It's like, you look at her. It's good. Uh, and so Jesus is going with these, this group of people. They're traveling. And one of them, we're told, is a fellow by the name of Cleopas. We know that he's one of those 72 because he has a Greek name. So Cleopas is a Greek name. Now, what's interesting is the one disciple that is going to Emmaus is named Cleopas, but we don't know the name of the other. It's not told us by St. Luke. But however, hmm, if we read the gospel closely, we would discover that in one other place in the gospel tradition, you have a character by the name of Cleopas, Greek fellow, but we never meet him. Rather, we meet his wife, Mary. So we're told that there was a a, a follower of Jesus called Mary who was the wife of Cleopas. So is it possible then in the Emmaus story that what we have is a husband and wife? So a married couple, one named Cleopas and perhaps the other being Mary. We can put that together just from what we know about the gospel. They have been followers of Jesus, but not among the twelve. They're Gentiles. Now, this is the thing. The most important story in the gospel, the longest story in St. Luke's gospel, is a story about these two people that we've never heard of before. What are we supposed to make of that? And what is St. Luke trying to put forward for us? And that is, I think the thing he's trying to put forward to us is, this isn't about Cleopas and Mary. This is about everybody else. It's about us. It's about everyone who's followed Jesus. In other words, this great story at the end of St. Luke's gospel is a story that is supposed to engage us 
because it is a story that draws us in by the very nature of the people that Jesus names. A husband and wife in the Greek world of St. Luke, for example, a husband and wife represent the whole of humanity. Everyone in humanity was going down the road from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. Now let's go back to this whole image of Emmaus. Don't worry, I'm getting to the bucket list. Don't worry about it. We're getting there. Here's the thing. They're going to this town called Emmaus. Now, what is St. Luke's point? What is he trying to drive home for us about the aftermath of the resurrection? A man and a woman, or you know, two people, one of them unnamed, and that's, of course, still an invitation for us to insert ourselves. These people, followers of Jesus, are going to Emmaus on the day, first day of the resurrection, and they're going to a town that nobody had ever heard of before because it didn't exist. So what's the message? Two people are going nowhere. They're going nowhere. Why are they going nowhere? And I think this is a very important point for St. Luke's Gospel. And that, that the point is they're going nowhere because they're running away from Jerusalem. Jesus, they followed Jesus. They went through 10 whole chapters with Jesus. They're all from chapter 9 to chapter 19. They went through 10 whole chapters. Now they're at 24, and Jesus has been, he's been crucified. He's been buried. And now, on the first day of the week, some of these women who have been following along have come into the room where these, some of few of the disciples have been gathered around and said, Jesus' body is gone. We don't know where he's gone. They think maybe, I don't know what, he's gone. So what did Cleopas say to his wife at that point? He said, we're getting the heck out of here. It's too hot. It's too much. It's, you know, this is crazy. You know, we've, we've followed along with Jesus through this entire thing. We thought that he was the Messiah. He was crucified. He's died. He's been buried. Now some crazy person has stolen the body. We're getting the heck out. And so he says to his wife, you know, let's think of her as Mary. Hey, Mary, pack your bags, honey. We're going home. You know, because this is this must be the story. I, you know, I, I always try to, you know, put the back story in. You know, I, I make it up. So don't worry. It's not like in the Bible. You can't find it there. But I make it up because it, it's plausible. You know, it makes sense for us in the context of preaching. And that is, you know, who were they? Who were these two? Let's take a Cleopas and Mary. Who were they? Let's think of them as a nice retired couple. Nice retired couple. Couple of nice retired Greek people. They'd retired to the area near Jerusalem because it was nice and hot, you know. They wanted a nice warmer climate. It was like Florida. They'd retired to Florida. Retired. It's great, isn't it? You know, what did they have? Cleopas played golf. He was a golfer, played golf all the, you know, all the time. And Mary, well, she had a canasta group, you know, a little, little you know, mahjong, I don't know. They had a lovely little life. And then one day, this Jesus comes by, a tent revival, and Cleopas says to Mary, Honey, I think he could be the Messiah that they've been, these, all of our Jewish neighbors have been talking about. What do you think? She said, I don't know. So they sublet their condo in Emmaus. They're on the road with Jesus. Everything's great. 
You know, he's, he's, he tells the best stories. Children love him. He talks about sheep. I don't really know what that means. He's been going along. Everything's been great until last week when the oatmeal hit the fan. And guess what happened? He was crucified, buried. Now these people are talking about raised from the dead. So what does Cleopas, he says to his wife, he says, pack your bags, honey, we're going home. So they're going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're dejected. They feel that it's all been for nothing. It's, it's completely for naught. It's over. And that's where they are. They're sad. And this is the thing. I think St. Luke is trying to say to us, if you're running away, because that's what they're doing. They're running away. If you're running away from Jesus, then you're going nowhere. Hello? With a bad microphone. You're going nowhere. You're going nowhere fast, you know. And this is exactly the message I think St. Luke is trying to send us. But just be, they're sad. They're dejected. They think the whole Christ thing was for nothing. The, the story of, you know, people being raised from the dead, crazy. And what happens? What did he say? Where two or three are gathered, there am I in their midst. Boom. They meet somebody, a stranger. They don't recognize him. They meet somebody. And the stranger says, what are you talking about? And they say, we're talking about Jesus. You have to have heard. Are you the only one in Jerusalem that has never heard of this stuff? You know, we thought it was the Messiah. It was great. And then now, crazy, it's over. We're going home. You know, we're going to throw the people that have sublet from us out. We're going back to our condo, back to the canasta, back to the golf course. And what does Jesus say to them? No. Didn't you know? Now, this is one of the important messages we keep hearing in St. Luke's Gospel. Didn't you know? Don't you know? Don't you understand what you're experiencing? And it's an important message for us to hear. Not only for them to hear, but for us to hear. Didn't you know? Don't you know what you're experiencing? Because so often in life, you know, we don't know what we're experiencing. We're going through life. We're going, I'll show up at Clanahan's or wherever the heck it is, you know. I'll have some fried fish. It'll be great, you know. I'll give a potato to the speaker. It'll be fine. But we don't know. We don't know what's happening around us. And then suddenly there is Jesus in the midst of us. And what does he do for these disciples that are confused and afraid and alone and feeling abandoned? He tells them from the beginning to the end, from the very beginning of the scriptures until the present moment, what the meaning of every scripture is and how it applies to him, although he says to Jesus, how it applies to Jesus. What a long walk that must have been. It's only seven miles. You know, how long does it take to walk seven miles? I don't know. How long do you think? How long? Two hours? Two hours? Five hours. You're a slow walker, aren't you? What? Seven miles. It was... I mean, maybe seven hours. I don't know. He tells the whole story of the scripture from the beginning to the end. Now, this is the most amazing thing. They get to where they're going, which was nowhere. And Jesus pretends that he's going to go on to leave them again. And they say, 
This is the most important thing. The most important thing in the whole long story. They say, stay with us or evening draws near. That is the most important statement in that whole gospel. Why? Because what it says is they are inviting Jesus to stay with them. They're inviting Jesus in. They're going to share a meal with him. They want to be hospitable. They want to be welcoming. In other words, they have learned the message of what he has been telling them all along. They've learned the message of welcoming, hospitality, all of those things, even though they think it's been for nothing. Stay with us, Jesus says, for evening draws near. And he stays with them. And this is the thing. And they recognize him in the breaking of bread. That's a very important point. Stay with us for evening draws near. And then he gives them something. They recognize him in the breaking of bread. They break bread and they see Jesus in the breaking of bread. And then the most important thing, what do they do? At the end of like 20 verses now, what do they do? They go back to Jerusalem. They run back to Jerusalem. It doesn't take seven hours to get back. It takes 15 minutes to run those seven miles. I mean, Olympics, it takes 15 minutes to get back. And they tell the disciples what they experienced. Now, you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, it's 20 verses. He could have read it, but he had to tell the whole darn thing. And now, oh, wait, we're 40 minutes into this talk and we don't even know the point yet. Here's the point. What is St. Luke leading us to at the end of the gospel? He's leading us to one thing, this story. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what is this story? In St. Luke's gospel, you can always tell the meaning of a thing by looking at its structure. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm so bored now. I don't know what to do. He's going to talk about structure. Structure. Because the story of Emmaus, the longest story in St. Luke's gospel, the final story in the gospel has four parts, four parts in the, in the story. One, two people are on a road. They get together, and there is Jesus in their midst, where two or three are gathered, there am I in their midst. Two, he relates to them the whole story of his life from the standpoint of the scriptures from beginning and end. So coming together, scripture. Three, the breaking of bread. They share the meal together, and they recognize him in the breaking of the bread. And four, they go back to Jerusalem and tell what has happened. So gathering, scripture, the meal, the telling. There are four things. These are the parts of the mass. What is St. Luke telling us? That's where your life is going. That's where you have to end up. If you want to know the meaning of your life, this is St. Luke, but it's also me, then the only, thing, the only thing you can know is that there are four parts, gathering, the scriptures, the meal, and the telling. 
This is what it means to live. In other words, for St. Luke, his message is everything about our faith, everything about Christianity, everything about following Jesus is taking you one place, and that is to the Eucharist. In other words, you find the meaning of your life only there. The culmination of the story is only there in that breaking of bread, in that storytelling, in that evangelization, in that gathering together. Because what happens when we come to Mass? Who are we? We're broken people. We're afraid people. We're people who don't know where we're going because we're going nowhere. We're on a road. We don't, you know, why? Because we've come from a life of, of meaninglessness, of sin. You know, 99% of what we do is trying to find meaning in a meaningless world. 99% of what we do is trying to find meaning. Who of us in this room, even over there, on the other side of the bar, who, they say, don't talk about the other side of the bar. We don't do that here. It's the Catholics on this side, Protestants on that side. Everybody in this room is looking for something. They're looking for meaning in their life. And what is the message that we receive again and again? And there's only one place you're going to find it. And that is in the Mass. Only one place where you're going to make sense of all of this. And that's in the Mass. Not here. It's great here. I like it here. They've got fish and chips here. But only in the Mass. You know, St. Luke builds and builds and builds this great story. And he brings us there. He brings us there. And that is what we're tending toward. That is where we're leading. That is where we're going. Now, I was thinking about the bucket list. I'm coming back to it. I think that looking at the story of Emmaus, but I also think being here, everybody who's listening tonight, everybody in this room is asking themselves the question, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? And in asking that question, we've already arrived. There's only one thing that is going to give meaning to our lives. You know, you don't need a bucket list. You don't even need the bucket. What you need is Christ in the Eucharist. You know, I was thinking about this question of conversion. Because that's where we're leading. That's what we're, that's what we're tending toward. You know, whether or not you know it, that's why you're here tonight. Why are you here tonight? Because, you know, you didn't come here just for the food. Although food, I'm sure, is great. It's great food. It's Irish food. You came here tonight to know how your life can be better. And I'm telling you, there's only one way. You know... Our church talks about the levels of conversion. Are we here for conversion? And there are four things, four letters, levels of conversion that I want to mention. I'm going to mention briefly and we can then move away because I'm talking too long. Four levels of conversion. What is the first conversion? The first conversion is what theologians call the liturgical conversion. And I think we see this a lot. 
I think we see it also in younger people today. I see it in my own seminarians. Liturgical conversion. What does it mean? It means that we find, even though we don't know how and we don't know how it all is going to work out, we find the meaning of our life in worship, in the Mass. In the Mass. Uh, any, any of you have heard me speak before probably know that I was not, I was not a Catholic from my youth. I became a Catholic when I was 13 years old, and it was, it was a wild ride, I mean, really, because I grew up in a very staunch, very devout Southern Baptist family. One day in August, I was 13 years old, I went into my parents and I said, I'm going to become a Catholic, and they're like, what in the heck is that? We went to church. It's a long story, and you don't need to hear it. It's a long story. We went to church. We went to Mass. It meant nothing. It was crazy. It was, it was completely out of line. And all three of us ended up becoming Catholic. One time at Mass made three Catholics who had never even heard of the Catholic Church before. Why? Because we knew that there was truth in it. And if there's truth in it, then it's the only place for us to go because that's what our lives are about, finding out the truth. When you find the truth, you live the truth. And the first conversion is a conversion to the reality that is only in the Mass where the truth of the Gospel is told. And everything in our lives, the other three conversions, have to then move toward that truth. In other words, the the celebration of the Mass and the Eucharist gives us the point Now the other three conversions take us there. The first conversion is intellectual conversion, to know what the Mass means. And this is a very big point for Catholics because we don't know. You know because you're here at the pub. I mean, you know, that's the only reason you know. You know, where are the other pub people? You know, where are all the people in your parishes? Where are the rest of Our Lady of Mount Carmel people? I'm going to talk to Father Richard about it. Father Richard is my classmate. We met on the very first day of seminary. We've been friends, let's say that, friends since then. You know, where, you know, where are all the other people? We need to know. Okay, so three levels of conversion. First, the Eucharist. Because the Eucharist is the only place for us to be. First level of conversion, intellectual conversion, to know what the church teaches, to understand what the church teaches, to be a part of what the church teaches. And this is a very important piece for us today because, you know, we live in a culture that wants to take everything bits and pieces, bits and pieces, bits and pieces. You know, John Henry Newman, blessed John Henry Newman, a cardinal and theologian from the 19th century, you know, said, you can't take things in the church one piece at a time. You have to take the whole thing and then try to sort it out. But we want to take just one piece at a time. And we like this, you know, this is nice. This is very, this is very nice, but we don't really like that. This teaching is good, but this teaching is a little problematic. You know, this teaching is fine. But we also like to, you know, we don't want to go to Chick-fil-A, you know, and (laughs) I don't know what that means, you know. But so here we are. You can't take it piece by piece. And so the first piece is intellectual. 
we have to give to God the desire to know. Not do based on what we know. In other words, we can't depend upon what we know to lead us to the Mass. We have to give it all to God and then trust that He will tell us what we need to know through our experience. So intellectual conversion. Second, moral conversion. And this, of course, uh, is, is a major piece. If I am a Catholic... I have to live like a Catholic. I can't be a Catholic and live like a heathen. I can't be a Catholic, you know, when we go to the pub and then be something else on Friday night or Saturday night or whenever. In other words, if we're going to accept the truth of the church, then it requires us to live a certain way. And then finally, there is what we call a kind of religious conversion. So intellectual conversion, what we know, moral conversion, how we act, and then finally, a kind of conversion that is going to take us in a consuming way. You know, there's no way for us to be engaged with what we need to be engaged with in this context until it finally consumes us, until it finally completely takes us over. You know, someone recently said to me, you know, I'm a Catholic father. I'm like, okay, but I'm not a fanatic. I said, what does that mean? Well, you know, I'm I'm a good Catholic, but, you know, I have not everything. I said, you know, there's no such thing as a Catholic is not a fanatic. If you're going to be a Catholic, then be a fanatic. In other words, let it consume you. Let it take everything about you. Let it be every part of your personality. Let it guide you. You know, we live in a very troubled time. And all we have to do is watch this. Not the basketball game necessarily. Although, who's winning this basketball game? It's the Irish. They were in green. It doesn't matter. We live in a very troubled time. But you know, we, we, we fool ourselves if we think that we're the only people that have lived in troubled times. Everybody lives in a troubled time. Because from the beginning until today, everybody's involved in exactly the same process. And that is reducing me so that Christ can become all in all. That's exactly what happened to those disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were reduced. They were reduced. They were reduced. They started out, everything was about them. Running away, being afraid. Everything was about them. And as they move along with Jesus in that journey of faith, they are reduced. They are reduced until Christ is everything and then they run back. You think about that. They ran back in the middle of the night because they couldn't keep their mouths shut when they experienced the presence of the risen Christ. How can that not happen to us at Mass? How can we not experience the presence of the risen Christ bodily and not run from the church to proclaim what has happened to us? Rather I'm out of here. I've done my duty. I hope he doesn't preach more than five minutes. 
Don't come to a mass that I'm preaching at. Don't do that. This is where we are. Conversion of spirit. And then what I would recommend to you is this. If we can get to that point, if we can come to that reality, if we can get to that engendering within ourselves of what's truly important in life, guess what? You don't need a bucket list. Thank you. On that note, um, you have five minutes to use the restroom, get up, stretch, and when we come back, we'll have some questions for you to discuss. Thanks, everyone, for being here, and I'll see you in about five minutes. Thank you. So, if you've been coming all of our weeks here to Theology on Tap, this is our fourth session. Um, we have two more after this, the next two Thursdays here again at the Clada. Uh, we kind of start gathering around 6.30 with drinks and food, and then the speaker starts about 7 o'clock. Next week is Sister Norma Rockledge from Marion University. who's going to talk about going green in your spiritual life, a little Irish theme there, kind of simplicity in our prayer life. Um, and then the final week we have uh, Bishop Doherty is going to be joining us he's going to be speaking about the role of a bishop. Um, so the bishop of the Diocese of Lafayette, who we're really excited to have with us that week. Um, here are a couple questions for you guys to discuss amongst yourselves. So whether you want to just talk about what sparked you with Father Dennis's wonderful talk, um, or if you need a couple of um, beginning questions, um, if you're at that awkward table, um, we know who you are. That table that laughed is the awkward table. Um, so first First question is name one, <laughs> name one of the item on your bucket list. Uh, after Father gave us a wonderful ending, so you don't need a bucket list. Our first question from our question maker, my wife, is uh, name one of the items on your bucket list if you were to have one, which you shouldn't have. You shouldn't have. Name one item on a hypothetical bucket list if you were on some Protestant bucket list. That will also be cut from the podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, and then uh, kind of the next set of questions that Father gave us during his talk is, you know, all those people who are here are asking, all of us are asking the same question of where are you going? Where are you going? What are you doing? Why are you here? Um, it's a little deeper. Okay? So if you're at one of the non-awkward tables, maybe go with that one. Um, you know, where are you going? Not, I'm going back to my house after this, but... Maybe larger picture, where are you going? Good chance for us to think about that. Um, and then the final question for you is, how or where do you find the meaning of your, how or where do you find meaning in the Mass? Um, Father just beautifully talked about how um, that's where we're called to. Um, that's where we find the meaning of our life um, in the Mass. So where or how does that relate to you where you are? today. So we'll just give you a few minutes, spark some conversation. If any questions come up, great. Um, we can bring those back to Father uh, at the end. So we'll just give you five, seven minutes to kind of talk amongst yourselves. So see you in a bit. I don't know what it means. Anyway, talk to me. 
What was the discussion at your table? What did you talk about? What's going on? What's happening? Ladies, any questions? Any thoughts? You're right. It's a dead crowd, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah. Good, all of you. You did give away a French fry, so that's your that's your bet. Yes, they're all going to heaven. That's what they decided. Yes, but wait, there's a but. Anyone at the table married? Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six. We're set. I'm a priest. You know, we've never had a wedding at this Irish pub. There's another priest here. We could have three weddings tonight. Anybody else thinking of getting married tonight? It's like, it's like a Baptist invitation. It's like... Come now, anyone want to get married? This is the night. Ask those people on the patio if they want to get married. Oh, there's more. Oh, you don't like these people here at this table. What's wrong with them? It's okay. You don't have to get married. Let's play rock, paper, scissors to see who's going to marry whom. <laughs> Just give him the... Okay. That's very good, though. That's, that's a very good... So everybody's headed that way. But now you have six people here. You're all going to get married. And no one's going to become a religious. No one's going to become a priest. Yeah, why not? Why not? Somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Purposeful, meaningful. I could. Uh, I did hear it. Uh, I said in hyperbo hyperbolic language, 99, you dropped your gift certificate, 99% of the people uh, you know, are, are engaged in activities that, you know, are, are, are not meaningful. Mass is meaningful. Adoration is meaningful. All these things. What else is meaningful? That's your question, right? Whatever gets you to that, that's what's meaningful. You know, in other words, first of all, let me talk, let me, because we were having this discussion during the break. What is the most important thing you do in the course of the week? What is the most important thing you do? Go to Mass on Sunday. Sunday Mass is the most important thing. Now, I want you to think about that in terms of the way in which 
a large majority of Catholics think about Mass. What do you think about? In a diocese very close to where I live, I'm just telling this horror story. There's a parish, and their 8 o'clock Sunday morning Mass is packed to the rafters. Why? Yes. What? No, it's not because I'm there. I love you. (laughs) Coffee and donuts would be okay. Any other thought? What? That's a good answer. Because the mass lasts 20 minutes. Packed to the rafters. What does that say about our, what I call, I I, I like to use this expression, our ability, our our, our kind of way of, 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 of approaching worship. It's something to get out of the way, something to get over with, rather than the most important thing we're going to do in the course of the week. We get there late, we leave early, it's over. You know, in the 20-minute mass is the great ideal. Don't preach longer. You know, don't, you know, St. John Chrysostom, St. John Chrysostom preached every Sunday in the cathedral at Constantinople for six hours. He was almost killed, but (laughs) I, I, I say that incidentally, you know, where's the tolerance for worship? That's what I want to get to. Where's the tolerance for worship? And I would say a a large percentage of Catholics, I'm not going to give a number, a large percentage of Catholics have a low tolerance for worship. What does that say about us as Catholics? Go. Yeah. Yeah, people go on Saturday night, they go on Sunday morning. You know, I... I, hello. Um, I, you know, it, it, I don't think it matters if we go on Saturday night, we go on Sunday morning. But I do think this is a key for me. You know, here I am. I get into lots of trouble, then I go home. Uh, if you're going to go on Saturday night, that's fine. But don't go on Saturday night so that Sunday can just be another day to work and do everything. You know, I think the other lost art in the contemporary scenario is keeping the Sabbath holy. It means nothing. Sunday means nothing. Every store is open. Everybody can do anything they want. We work. We do whatever. And there's nothing there about the Sabbath. Anyway, that's something else I think that as Catholics we could learn to reclaim and also hopefully model for other people in our culture. But I think mostly that secularization has led to the, that being gone. Yeah. Anyone else? Any thoughts? Any questions? About anything? Where? Oh, this is a very talkative table, isn't it? Oh, we have two dueling microphones now. Hi. I don't know. I think you can be louder than me. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go, 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 go. All right. Um, if you're like me and you drive around Carmel... I am. I okay. am like you. Well, I'm, I'm new to the area, so all of these roundabouts... They confuse me. So what is that about? Just like, right. I agree. How much money did the city of Carmel spend building those goofball roundabouts <laughs> when you could just turn left? Right. Or better yet, 
turn right. <laughs> right is always, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> um, but my question on the road, on the journey, what uh, happens if you get stuck in a roundabout, you know, mm. in spiritual life? What could you do to get out of that and get back on the journey and open your hearts to Christ? You have to ask, you, have, you know the answer to the question. That's my point. You know the answer to the question, which is, where am I in my spiritual life? And here's the key. Uh, Cardinal Newman, blessed John Henry Newman, once said, and I think this is, this is a key, to live is to change. To grow perfect is to change daily. We have to ask ourselves, what am I doing? How am I different? You know, I always say this when, to the seminarians as we begin Lent. I said, when we begin Lent on Ash Wednesday... I want you to ask yourself this question. When we get to Easter, how will you be different for the rest of your life? You know, I was reflecting. I was listening to the sound. I'm very easily distracted. Uh, I, 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 I was reflecting as I was driving up today about this film about Ash Wednesday. Has anybody ever seen that film about... The guy who gives up premarital sex for Lent. You ever see that or hear about it? You know, this guy over here is like. <laughs> he gave up premarital. And what does that mean? You know, but I think a lot of, I, I always preach about this as, as we begin Lent. It's like, what is Lent going to do for you this year? How are you going to be different on Easter Sunday than you were on Ash Wednesday? And how is that going to be permanent in your life? These are the kinds of questions we should be asking ourselves, not, you know, what stupid thing am I going to do for Lent that's going to be ridiculous and I'll just fail anyway. You know, in other words, every day we should be asking ourselves two questions. One is, how am I better today than I was yesterday? And two, how will I be better tomorrow than I am today? And, you know, Newman says, to live is to change, to grow perfect is to change daily. And I think often, though, we find ourselves in that rut where we're, like, going to church. It's every Sunday I go to church, do the same thing, go through the motions, and there's no, there's no energy in it. And I think that, that's one of the questions, yeah. Thank you, Father. I'm going to give a blessing, though. Thank Are you, you going to say anything else? Okay, I'm going to give a blessing, all right? Yeah, they're supposed to go home after I give the blessing. Okay, you go ahead. Thank you, Father. Uh, before Father gives a blessing, just a reminder, we have two more weeks. We'd love for you to come back um, here at the Clada. Um, and the first lady to come up to me after Father's blessing and tell me the four uh, con- types of conversion, levels of conversion, um, gets $10. Because uh, I don't want to give it to just the men. So I have a $10 gift card in my pocket. It's really, it's right here. That sounds very weird. But it's right there. Um, so if you remember the four types of conversion. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's going to kill me. He's like, no, he's never coming back. He just gives away the gift certificates. Free money. Free money. Um, anyways, uh, come back next week where we don't give away free money. Um, but you have to earn it uh, for Sister Norma. And uh, check if you did not sign up on this iPad right here to get our emails uh, we'll email out about next week. We'll email about last week's uh, podcast of it. And we'll also email this week's podcast of the talk. 
if you want to kind of go back and remember something that you may have forgotten exactly what Father said. Um, and check out our Facebook page as well. It kind of has all the information and pictures from tonight. T- uh, tag your friends and make fun of them. I mean, um, tell them how beautiful they look on Facebook. So, Father, please yeah. give us your blessing. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Get out. Get out.